The following audio is from Central Christian Church located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
you lift him up high. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? We thank God for that glorious day.
Good morning, church. All right, so if you know me or you're close to me, you know I'm a very positive person. I try to take every situation and look on the bright side. Um, Even in, like, darker days, typically I'm the kind of light, you would say. I don't know if that's bragging or not. Um, So I'm going to take you back, back a few weeks. Man, I was having the absolute best day. I went to school, made it to all my classes, understood all the concepts. I even went to practice. I felt like I was really fast that day. Like, I was having a great day. Uh, Went home. I was exhausted. I ate supper, went to take a shower, and then I was walking back to my room, and I had the most immense pain I think any human could ever understand. Right in my left foot, I stepped on a sticker. It was like, (laughs) oh, my gosh. It was one of those that, like, as soon as you pulled it out, you still had that, like, heat in your foot, and it was like, God, I wanted to cry. Um, but it was so crazy. This thing was like two millimeters long. Oh, it absolutely ruined my day. I made it to nine o'clock at night and my day was trashed. That got me thinking, this thing is so small. And I even did the math. I am 1,803.4 millimeters long. And this thing was two. It literally took me on my feet. I'm sitting on the ground rubbing my foot, trying to make the pain stop. (sighs) It's so crazy. (laughs) Sorry. Question. Are we being positive splinters? Now, there's something we need to establish. I was thinking about this. There's two kinds of splinters that you step on. There's the ones that hurt, that make you want to say bad words, but you're not because you're a Christian. You're not going to cuss. And then there's those that you step on, you pull them out of your foot, and then you're like, wait, why am I not wearing shoes? So, are we being positive splinters or negative splinters? Let's, let's, let's change that. Instead of being splinters, are we being Christ, positive Christians and negative Christians? Uh, we're, we go out of these doors every Sunday, and we're supposed to go out, share the work of Jesus, and be the hands and feet of Jesus. But that's where it got me going. Am I being a positive Christian? Am I taking my beliefs and my religion and pushing it on others? Am I taking their day and just ruining it by telling them that everything they do is wrong and that they're being a sinner and being that overcompensating Christian, kind of putting myself on a pedestal because I think I'm better than them? It's crazy to me that we, that there's Christians out there that, yes, what people do in other religions, they do wrong things, but that doesn't mean we're better than them. Maybe we just need to be a positive light in their life. In Matthew 5:16, in the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Are we loving these people? Are we being a positive beacon of hope and love, taking their day, hopefully hopefully making their day better? Let's take the initiative to start leaving better imprints of Jesus and what he lived and died for in our everyday life. Let's make that our goal this week, to be positive splinters, to make people not have bad tastes about Christians in the future. Bow your heads. Our dear most gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you right now and we thank you for this wonderful Sunday. We thank you for letting us come together 
and praise you and love you and learn more about you. We praise you. Take our week and let us be positive splinters and have good interactions with believers and non-believers. We hope that you be a beacon of light for all to see. We love you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This right here is uh, Floyd and Fanny Brown. Um, I knew them by other names. They're my honorary grandparents. I only had one grandfather, my grandpa Fred, uh, growing up. So the Browns claimed me and my brother as grandsons. I remember having lunch at their house on Sunday afternoons after church. Um, there's a There's not a thing that my grandma Brown could make that I wouldn't eat, and that actually includes beets. So everything she cooked was absolutely amazing. I remember the day they lived in Lingo, and I remember the day where I don't know if I talked them into it or how this happened. They actually taught me how to drive. They let me behind the wheel of their white sedan. Uh, Mrs. Grandma Brown was sitting in the passenger seat. Grandpa Brown was in the back seat, and I was swerving all over the place. I had no concept of what a steering wheel was supposed to do. Wee! And they were praying. There was so much prayer that happened on that day. The Browns made up one-fifth of the total congregation there at Lingo Baptist Church. Fun fact, I hold the record for the youngest person ever to attend Lingo Baptist Church five days old. That may not be undisputed, but we're going with it. Do we... I'm getting ahead of myself. Growing up, my dad worked at Pointers. He worked there during the week. Um, on the weekends, he preached. And so in, in, as we started, whenever I was little, we would go to Dora, and he would run a Spanish Bible study there. And eventually, he would actually have a, a Spanish-speaking service for uh, those residents there in Dora. But in the meantime, we were ahead to Lingo, and then we would have the service there at Lingo. Um, he moved to First Spanish Baptist Church after that, and that's where he preached until he died. Literally, he preached on a Sunday and he passed away on a Wednesday. Do we need a platform to make a difference? If I'm already tearing up, this is going to be a long day. What does genuine love look like? How do we love other Christians? How do we love unbelievers? Well, I cannot believe that Cody Webster read my notes without him. Yeah, I don't know how he did that. Do our actions actually affect eternity? These are questions that we're going to talk about today. So welcome online on the radio. I love this quote from last week about spiritual gifts, and it goes like this. Authentic community occurs when real people use the gifts God has given them to make a difference. Our spiritual gifts don't exist for us to get ahead or for us to be better than somebody else. They exist in relation to the body of Christ. We are a community. We are in this together. We're going to take a look at Romans 12, 9 through 16 today. If you will begin to turn there, 
Um, I'm going to be reading from the Streetlights version. That was actually uh, the, the open that you just heard was a collective called Streetlights. And so these are a bunch of music producers. And what they do is they create these beats in order to speak the words of the Bible over the top of them. It's a different entry point for people that might not be exposed to the Bible. What an awesome idea. And so they have this kind of accompanying uh, Version of this as well. And so I'll be reading in the NLT today. Romans 12 is where we are. Verse 9 is where we are starting. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. We could do a whole sermon series on just those verses. And frankly, we don't have enough time and you're not going to want to stay for that long. So what I've chosen then is things that I feel speak to my heart and will speak to yours as we talk about genuine love, real love, agape love, and what that looks like for us as believers. Now, Romans 1.11 is an absolute masterclass on Christian doctrine. Over and over and over again, Paul meticulously outlines what we believe. That's what Christian doctrine is. Christian beliefs, what we believe. And I believe Romans 12 then is an extension of that. Think of it this way. If Romans 1 through 11 is what we believe, Romans 12 is how can you tell? How can you tell what we believe? How can you see if our beliefs match our behavior? And so this chapter moves from the use of spiritual gifts to motivation to use those gifts and also for practical ideas for specific situations. And it's got a totally different writing style. Did you notice that? How many uh, of you... Um, would venture a guess for how old Twitter is. How many of you would say that Twitter came before the year 2000? Raise your hand. Nobody. How many know what Twitter is? <laughs> Raise your hand. Okay, we've got some people. It's fine. All right. Twitter actually came on the scene in 2006. It sounds like it's been around forever, but it really hasn't. It started out as what is your status? 140 characters. That's the limit you have, about to get nerdy, of an SMS text message, which is why Twitter only had 140 characters. That's how it originated. And so as they do this status, they opened it up to a whopping 280 characters. What what are you doing today? What's your status? How you feel? And so you have 200 characters to say what you mean or just be mean, depending on the profile, right? If you've ever been on Twitter, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So Romans 12, 9 through 16, to me, is what Paul's feed would look like if he had Twitter. And it's on purpose. 
This rapid-fire delivery is meant to jar the reader. We, we pay attention. Paul is making a point here. He said, you can say what you believe all day, but until those actions match it, it doesn't matter much at all. If what we're doing doesn't match what we believe, then is it even making an impact? Maybe, but it's not the impact we're wanting to make. I never sat down with Grandma Brown and asked her how her walk with Christ was. I didn't have to. It was written all over her life. Real love is committed. Real love puts others first. Real love is patient. Real love combines feeling with action. I want this to be the basis for what we are studying tonight. What does real love look like? I've heard stories, I'm not this old, but it seems like everybody in the 80s had a wood veneer piece of furniture. Again, I'm just speculating. I'm not really sure. Just kidding. Late 70s. Early 70s? Okay, let's stop. Everybody had a piece of wood veneer furniture in their house, it seemed like, right? Now, wood veneer has like this really thin piece of actual wood, right? And that's slapped, glued onto a base, right? Now, wood veneer is great, it's inexpensive, it's cost-effective, but here's the thing. When you've got a couple of boys and they're round in the corner and they keep bumping against that thing or they hit something hard with it, it begins to chip, doesn't it? And heaven forbid you, you don't listen to your mother and you put something on there without a coaster over and over and over again. And all of a sudden that constant condensation starts to bubble up to the surface and it begins to separate. You see, it wasn't really wood all the way through. And Paul starts with Romans twelve nine, and he says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. This pretend is the veneer. It looks good until it doesn't, right? There's no depth. Now, some of you may be like me. I, uh, I try to avoid confrontation at all costs, right? I'm a pacifist. I want everybody to be happy. And so, for me, the veneer is pleasantness, right? I may not tell you what I think I should because I want to save the relationship. I don't want to hurt your feelings. And Paul's saying, don't just pretend to love others, right? There is a way to say tough things in love, right? We speak truth in love. That's the key, in love. But really loving them isn't being holier than thou either. See, Cody, you read my notes. Maybe I read yours. It's not being holier than thou. It's not being a critic. It's not being some sort of internet troll. It's not being some sort of keyboard warrior that you're just typing and spouting off stuff and you're not thinking about the person on the other side reading the screen. This is not love. It's a veneer. At the end of the day, we pour, others, we pour into others instead of putting them down. And I've come to this realization. If it's not edifying, it's not necessary. Let me say that again. If it's not edifying, it's not necessary. He says, hold on tightly to what is good. We know we're not supposed to attach ourselves to evil or wrong. So we extend 
turn our focus to this next part. He says, hold on tightly. Cling to, glue ourselves to. I played croquet for the first time in uh, Grandma Brown's backyard. Now, it may have been uh, the side yard. There may have not been a fence, and there may not have been grass. But I remember playing croquet. Now, in croquet, there's this crazy rule, right? If your ball is next to another person's ball, you can put your foot on your ball, take the hammer, and yeet that thing off into Never Never Land, right? Yeet is what the kids say, right? It means far, far away. My kids are rolling their eyes in the front row. Every time that happened, it's not illegal, right? It's completely fair. It's completely within the rules. But is it kind? I mean, that's the question you have to ask, right? Every single time I was in that situation, I would have to decide what I was going to do, unless it was my brother's ball. If it was my brother's ball, then every single time, I knew exactly what I was going to do. I would eat that thing in the next week, right? Paul is saying that. He's saying nobody's going to choose for you. Nobody's going to choose whether to hold on to evil or good for you. It's your choice. What are you going to do with that choice? Agape love is the same thing. Agape love is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's more than a feeling. It's a mindset. It's an attitude. Maybe some of you are saying right now, I'm not really sure what agape love means. Well, that's perfect because that's my next point. C.S. Lewis outlines four types of love in his book, Big Surprise, The Four Loves. Okay? It's an awesome book, and what he does is he he breaks this down. He says, Eros is passion. Now, Eros doesn't really occur in the New Testament, but he talks about more things. He talks about this Greek word phileo, which means brotherly love. Think of Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love. That's where this comes from. The next one is storge. Storge is familial. That means I have your back. I'm in your corner. Because your family, I've got you. And then finally, there is agape love. Agape love comes from God. It is a divine love. It is an unconditional love. It is a self-sacrificing love. We see agape love on display from our Heavenly Father when He showers us with grace, mercy, forgiveness, blessings, when He helps us through dark times. But it doesn't stop there. The beauty of agape is we're supposed to extend it to other people. The way we act, the way we talk, the way we interact with those people that we come in contact with. Romans 12.10 says, Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Now, genuine affection, there's a Greek word there, but the the Greek word for love at the very beginning of that verse is, is awesome to study. It's actually philostorgas. It's a combination. It's a compound word. And it's the only time Paul uses this compound in his writings. Philostorgas is a melding of family and brotherly love. I love the way this works out. Essentially, this is what Paul is saying. 
I have your back because you are my sister in Christ. I have your back because I am your brother in Christ. I am in your corner because we are members of the body of Christ. When Paul is saying love each other with genuine affection, he's saying we are in this together and we act like it. He says take delight in honoring each other. Now, in another translation, it says outdo one another. And I had trouble with that because I don't like that wording. To me, it sounds like competition. To me, it sounds like taking score. It sounds like it's the reverse of what's intended. So I tried to get down to the bottom of it as I was studying. Acquiring honor in ancient Rome was like an addictive drug. Once you had a little bit of honor, you wanted more. You wanted to move up the ranks. It didn't matter what class you were. You were constantly trying to climb to get any little bit that you could. And so people then sought to outclass one another, not by doing things better, but by destroying other people's honor. Hopping on Facebook and putting them on blast, bullying over and over and over again, making somebody feel less so you can feel like you're more. So Paul is reversing the objective here. He's saying if you're going to compete, Compete in showing honor to this person over and over and over again. Lift them up high. Because you can tell a lot about somebody by what they're willing to do to get ahead. That speaks a lot to their character. Are they genuine? Are they authentic? Or are they just looking for the easy way out? Paul is saying, don't elevate yourselves by making other people feel less. In fact, he says, do the opposite. Make them feel like they are the most important person in the room. Put your phone down. Sit across the table. Lock eyes with them. Stop talking and listen to their story. Genuine love requires concentration, effort, and intentionality. Now, I want to say that I'm really good at that, and I'm really bad at that. Every morning, I put uh, just one headphone in, and I get started with my version app. There's like a little verse of the day by different people, and that's how I get started. I listen to it, and then sometimes I'll put on some music. Now, if my beautiful wife, who I absolutely adore, says something to me, I want to hear. I do not. Because there's noise. There's noise in my other ear. There's stuff going on in my other ear. Even though I'm trying to concentrate on her, I can't fully do it because I'm distracted. Are you distracted today? Have you found yourself in a place where you're not listening to the person in front of you? You're too busy worrying about everything around you. Genuine love, agape love, real love requires concentration. It requires effort, and it requires intentionality. We do love on purpose. It's not going to happen on accident. We're not going to fall into it when we're talking about agape. Um, We don't currently have a microwave. 
Yes, I, I have to put a disclaimer on. Please don't love us and buy us a microwave. No, this is a moral decision. It's not one that I would have made necessarily, but here we go. It's almost impossible to make a good hot pocket without a microwave. I'm just saying that. But I'm working through it. It's okay. I remember our first microwave growing up. It was like 100, 150 pounds. I don't remember. I was young. That thing was massive, right? took up almost our whole kitchen counter. And when it came in and we sat it up, I still remember where it was. It came with a cookbook. And I loved that cookbook. Now, I didn't really care for any of the recipes except one. And I earmarked that recipe and I made it over and over and over again. Nachos. Now, I'm not really sure why there was a recipe for nachos. Seriously, this was tortilla chips and melted cheese. I don't know why it was that hard, but I referenced that recipe and read it faithfully every single time I made nachos, and I made them deliciously, I might add. You know, that little church at Lingo, 10 to 12 people strong, bought that microwave for our family. My dad didn't take a salary there when he was preaching. Paul continues, and he says, when God's people are in need, help them. Be ready to help them, it says. Always be eager to practice Hospitality. In other versions, it says, contribute to the needs of the saints. Did you know that when you put something in this basket here, you contribute to the needs of the saints? Did you know that when you pick up a, a basket for education celebration, you are contributing to the needs of the saints. When we reach out, when we love one another, we are contributing to the need of the saints. We're helping them. We're lifting them up. This community of mutual relationship, essentially it means get your hands dirty. Again, we are in this together. And I love this command. This command is for everybody. It's not just pastors be ready to help people in need. It's not just important people or, or people that have the means to even. Paul is saying everybody. Paul is saying if you're a Christian, this is your call. You get in the game. You, you, you foster community. And then there's this idea of about hospitality versus entertaining. Now, entertaining is a little different, right? So entertaining means that you get out your, your best flatware, right? And you, you set everything out just so. Uh, I remember my dad got my mom a china cabinet uh, from Pointers. And so what he would do is he would put stuff on layaway. And then whenever he had enough money, he would take it out. It would show up on our door, right? So my mom stuffed this thing with fancy uh, dinnerware and everything else. I will tell you, my mom never opens that thing. 
unless there are more people than she has plates. And then and only then will she move that out. That is the difference between entertaining and hospitality. Entertaining is I'm putting my best foot forward. I want you to say thank you. I'm going to do everything just so. Hospitality means what do you need? What can I do for you? How can I love you well? Open my doors to you. Practice is not actually as strong as the word intended, which is pursue. Pursue hospitality. Seek for opportunities to serve one another. Don't live in a bubble. Don't hoard your resources. Also, don't think you're not capable of reaching out and and inviting somebody to spend some time with you. You can do that. Because a selfish home is seldom happy. A selfish home seeks to look out for number one. There's not much room for giving there because they have to attain. They do all they can to keep their, their limited things, what they have, intact. Now, growing up, we, we had more than most, I would say. But I, I don't feel like we acted like it. Um, we were the house where friends would come in, often without knocking, and they would check the refrigerator. That was our house, right? And I remember smiles, and I remember laughter, and I remember a perfectly thrown curveball that went through a window. I threw the curveball. That's what I remember. I'm not saying that everything was perfect at our house. I'm not saying that my brother and I didn't get sideways. I'm not saying that, 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 that sometimes voices weren't raised or we didn't go through difficult times. I am saying that my, my family, my parents, fostered this idea of giving. And if a selfish home is seldom happy, then I would say that a giving home is full of joy. The focus, as Paul continues in Romans 12:15, is for everybody. There are a couple of passages that were focused on believers. You saw that, right? This one is open for all. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Rejoice and weep. You want someone to know you care? Stop what you're doing. Sit down next to them and cry with them when they're hurting. Let them know that you are listening. Now, the weep with others thing comes naturally for me. Um, I'm a crier, right? In fact, when we watch a commercial, my kids are watching me to see when I start crying. So that that's not hard for me. Now, the rejoice part can be difficult for me and maybe it can be difficult for you. It goes a little something like this. I'm so happy for you. Why didn't I get that promotion? I'm so happy for you. I'd really like a new truck. I'm so happy for you. Why doesn't anybody look at me? It's jealousy. It's competition, right? And Paul's saying this should not be so. He's saying 
rejoice. Rejoicing with others derails the impulse to become jealous. I I read something the other day, reading a book by Dr. Deloney, and he says something. He says, you know you have real friends when you call them on the phone and tell them good news. I want to be a friend that someone wants to call when they have good news and not worried about how I'm going to take that good news. Am I going to be jealous? Is my heart going to be hurt? I want to celebrate with my friends. I want to love them well. This is what real love, genuine love, looks like. And harmony requires humility. And, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to take humility to sit with somebody and weep. You're going to have to be a little vulnerable, right? It's going to, be, it's going to take some humility to, to hear good news from others and not be worried about whether or not you are going to get good news. That takes humility. So the question becomes, in our genuine love, in our real love, do we serve in humility? Do we attempt to make much of ourselves? Or, or maybe this, is what I'm doing even making a difference? Is, does it even matter? Is, ever, is anybody even paying attention? Does this have kingdom implications at all? Or am I just dragging my feet? We have uh, three boxes of old tapes um, at my mom's house that I've started to go through. The three boxes are all of my dad's sermons. Uh, He would record them actually for our family in Santa Fe because they weren't able to attend a church. And so we have all of these treasures, my dad's voice preaching all of this content. We've got special music, and I came across this really old tape that just said um, old hymns, three hymns. And I pop in this tape, and um, I hear my mom's voice after she's playing a little bit of piano, and I hear her say, stop, quit, don't do that. And then I hear another little voice, ah, ah, ah. Every time she would play the piano, a baby would sing. I'm not sure if it was me or if it was my brother. It was the funniest thing to hear. Verse 16 embodies this harmony. It says, live in harmony with each other. It says, don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Piano is not the only thing I learned from my parents. You make a difference with the love that you share, with the way that you interact. And those things that you may think are insignificant at the time will come to build significant things in the lives of others. says, give yourselves to humble tasks. In the commentary, it says, be carried away to the lowly. I love that. As if you can't help it. 
You're so clinging to the Lord. You're practicing this agape love. It's shining in your heart over and over again that you are carried away to the lowly. Because at the end of the day, Imago Day, we are all made in the image of God, right? We all have an origin story. We all have a testimony of where God came into our lives. We heard Romans 5, 8 earlier, right? But even while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. His love was apparent. Even when we were enemies of the cross. And it ends with this. Don't don't think you know it all. And the older I get, the more I see that I do not, in fact, know it all. There's still a lot to learn. And the crazy thing is, after all of these years, I'm still trying to measure up. I'm still trying to be good enough. I'm still trying to attain some level. But that's the thing about agape. It's unconditional. You can't quite attain it because it's given freely. And I think referencing Cody's communion. Here's the thing that we need to do as Christians. We need to remember that we were enemies of the cross. We need to remember that we were in the same situation as everybody else, that now we're not better, now we're not holier than thou. We're just saved. We're just forgiven. We're just free. And when we do that, we remember this simple truth. Christ thought they were worth dying for. Christ thought they were worth dying for. And if you need to hear this today, Christ thought you were worth dying for. Did you know if you were the only person on this earth, Christ would have still come and died in your place? Does that completely blow your mind? Does that completely change your thinking? And he does this for enemies of the cross, Christians, unbelievers. He gives his life willingly in order for us to have life more abundant. As the team comes up, the Holy Spirit is the one who changes hearts. That much is not disputed. But is our lack of love getting in the way of the Holy Spirit's work? Are we called to something different? I asked a couple of questions when we started. Do we need a platform to make a difference? I'll tell you, and this is just speculating, I don't preach every Sunday, and I may have preached to more people than my father did in his lifetime. But his life was a sermon every single day. You don't need a platform to make a difference. Just make a difference. Do our actions affect eternity if you were able to see the end from the beginning you would see this beautiful story of how your actions however insignificant you thought they were built on other things that made people who they are today more loving more caring more authentic more genuine so this is the call real love are we going to show real love to others 
Are we going to come before the Lord in humility? Are we going to make room for Him to do whatever He wants to? Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.